Welcome to episode two of the Predlines podcast. Uh, after an action-packed week uh, involving the California road trip, gentlemen, it's been uh, about six days since I last spoke to you both. Um, I hope everybody's doing all right. George, what have you been up to, man? A lot of writing. Uh, doing a little scouting work out here in Madison, watching the Capitals quite a bit. There, are, there's going to be a couple of good players that could head to the OHL this season, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited for that. Wow. Um, all right, well, don't let the Capitals be any good, right? Because yeah. we don't want that. Uh, Corey, how are you doing? Uh, doing all right. It's been a busy week with, with family and work and things like that, but uh, glad I got to watch some late-night hockey with, uh, oh, yeah. last night with the uh, time change. can help me stay up a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. Um, yeah, it's been a it's, a it's tough on the fans, I'm not going to lie. You know, yeah. maybe I'm a little spoiled, but... Uh, that those three nights of of nine p.m. puck drop or later, yeah, they grind it. Especially when you have to stay up and write an article afterwards. There've um, <laughs> been some, I've seen some odd times of the night this week. Um, but you know, I think it's been some good good hockey to watch. There's obviously that San Jose game uh, was just very bad. Just kind of, a, I think we can all just try to forget about that. Um, hopefully, the I team enjoyed goes it. Well. Yeah. What? Why'd you even bring it up then? Come on. It was well, pretty I bad. Forgot. I, I, I tend to forget, George, that you're a, a San Jose Sharks fan by birth, so maybe you yeah. will like to talk about it. But as from a Predators perspective, that was pretty abysmal. Uh, Corey, we do have to do our due diligence here and, and discuss it as much as I do. We just want to sort of ignore it. Um, <laughs> George, well, I'll let you start as, as the, uh, the imposter here. And what did you notice out of the – I guess we'll, we'll try to keep this – focused on the visiting team what did you notice out of the predators well i think the big thing that everyone noticed is they couldn't stay out of the box uh eight penalties was was the number of the night and we can talk about bad refs all you want or you know easier lazy calls but even if half of them were undeserved that's still four penalties and even then the, the sharks only scored one power play goal the predators just looked disinterested with the game and it really showed especially with that second and third line um and i think the most actually with uh, ryan johansson who especially near the end of that third period, it looked like he wanted to hurt players more so than actually play hockey and score goals, which if your number one center is doing that, then you're going to be in one for one hell of a game. Yeah, that was, yeah, I mean, I, the, the penalty thing was obviously the, the headline. I thought it was Johansson's worst game this season easily. Um, <clears throat> and I know he gets criticized a lot. People people tend to call, call him lazy or kind of disinterested, but yeah, he... He actually earned that. I think <laughs> he deserved it in that San Jose game. I'm not exactly sure what was going through his head. Um, yeah, Corey, I cut you off. Sorry. Oh no, I was going to say. You know what? I, what I found interesting about that whole game is um, the how bad the the undisciplined play just hurt the Predators' chances. I mean, if you look at if you just go through and look at stats, if you're and you're interested in like the uh, the Corsi or Fenwick things like that, you know, you see an even streak of Corsi in the high 50s and even the 70s, you know, throughout the game uh, on 5 on 5 play for the Predators, but the score was well 4 to 1 because we couldn't keep ourselves out of the penalty box. I mean, it was just it, it's just undisciplined play and it's something I didn't expect to see them do against San Jose. You know, it wasn't necessarily a statement game for them like it was for the, you know, for me, I thought the game versus the Penguins earlier in the season was we're not going to back down from you guys, kind of set a physical statement to things. This was just sloppy mess. Yeah, uh, as far, I, as, as, 
Go ahead, as Jordan. far as I'm concerned with with the uh, the San Jose Sharks versus the National Predators game, what I saw the most of was the Predators were were possessing the puck really well, but we can kind of see through their high danger scoring chances for and against was they were just kind of holding the puck around the perimeter and kind of passing around mm-hmm. there and not actually cutting to the middle or going to the slot, which is definitely what you saw more against the Ducks and you saw Scar Hartnell do that and get rewarded for it with a little bit of a lucky goal and then you also saw that with the Kings, although that faded very heavily in in like the second half of the game. But yeah, just looking right. to, just looking through the stats, I'm seeing just five on five. Uh, the Predators had two high danger scoring chances for the entire game, which is just unacceptable at that point. Like that's yeah, only two chances. And then when you go through their through their power play, it only jumps up to five. So it, they they were shooting themselves in the foot there. They were you can't win. You're only generating five shots or five high danger chances per game. Right. It seems like most of the games that they're staying outside of the circles. They're saying, you know, instead of getting in between and getting right in front of the crease, they're staying out of the perimeter of the of the offensive zone. And that's where most of their sh- most of their shots are occurring. They're rarely are they getting into the crease or into that little danger zone area right in front. And, you know, if you look at what the Sharks did that game, most of their shots in five on five play came right at the net, which is why they had two goals on five on five at the net. Um, so it's just they're 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 staying away from the crease for some reason. That kind of bothers me. Saw a little bit a little bit more chances of that last night, I think. But we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. Um, they just, I don't know why they want to stay outside so much. Well, it seems like they. It's just obviously it's easier to kind of skate around the perimeter, and when they're finding that to be sort of the path of least resistance, um, you know they'll they'll kind of fall into that routine. And then it, the the troubling thing to me was it seemed like. It wasn't that they were just sort of uninterested in in attacking the slot. It was more that when they wanted to, they were really forcing passes. They were trying to be way too complicated, and and they have the skill. And the, and I mean, these guys can can handle the puck, and and they're very strong in the puck. And I don't understand why they don't kind of fall back on that skill set a little more. It seems like they they get too wrapped up in. Uh, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, but but definitely trying to force too many passes. Um, and yeah, I mean, like like you said, George, two two high danger scoring chances at five on five throughout a sixty minute hockey game is not going to win the game. Um, and we definitely saw that um, in the San Jose game. And then that was the one thing um, in the in the Ducks game that was definitely more noticeable is um, in total for both teams there were four goals scored in that low slot area. Um, and, and so it's nice to see the Predators contribute to that number with, with two from that uh, kind of, you know, the, the little trapezoid area between the, the top of the faceoff circle and then the goal. Because um, that really, you know, I, I, I say it in articles all the time, that is where the hockey game is won. It's not the really, you know, nice flashy shots from the defenseman or, or out high. It's, it's going to be the ugly goals, the kind of grinding goals that are really – you know, kind of at the at the goalie's uh, net front that are going to really challenge uh, challenge a netminder. So yeah, the Ducks game it wasn't. Well, one second, I just want to hold on real quick. I as much as a cliche as it is, I you know the game is won in the trenches along the boards and in front of the net. But one of the things I noticed in the Sharks game that I didn't notice a lot from the Ducks nor the Kings was uh, T- Peter DeBoer, the head coach of the Sharks, had a winger. Uh, sitting up very high near the center of the ice or near during the center of the defensive zone. And what they did was they cut, they took away that pass through the middle that, or that cross ice pass that uh, yeah. Paris defensemen like to make a lot. And that really forced uh, the Paris to kind of keep it 
to kind of keep away from that middle or that middle of the ice in the offensive zone and keep the puck along the boards or keep uh, you know keep them to taking bad bad shots. And then at least from the from the Ducks game and from the uh, from the Kings game, you saw them kind of the Predators figure out a way around it, or they weren't challenged as much with that. And because of that, they got more shots through. They got more chances because they created more rebounds like that. Yeah, and then the the Ducks game, um, like I said, it, you know they seemed a little more into that. They they were able to penetrate that slot a little more, considering you know I, I said sort of tongue in cheek in my uh, you know like stats recap that we were really playing the uh, the goals you know their AHL team because you know the Ducks were just so injured, uh, so it wasn't quite as convincing of a victory as I would have liked to see. But you know that said, it, a win is a win. Um, and I'm I looking I'm looking at the heat map of their of the Predators shots and yeah they had they had one goal that was sort of almost right in front of the goalie crease um, and then one that was uh, kind of directly behind it near the top of the faceoff circle and that's really that was the big difference for me um, is just they had success penetrating those areas um, and obviously it wasn't a you know a superb goaltending effort from from Anaheim but. Um, you know, I, I sort of jokingly titled that article, Hello Offense, My Old Friend. Just That was like the, the one thing that we had been lacking for so many games was just decent five-on-five offense. And even though it wasn't quite convincing, it was definitely there. And, and I thought that was a little more kind of inspired a little bit of hope, definitely in me as a fan, uh, just to see that game. But I don't know. I, you know, I, George, I know you tend to be a little more critical. And, and so I'll perhaps I'll start with Corey. Corey, what did you really did you notice anything in particular about the Ducks game that you'd like to talk about? They didn't fold. They had a two goal lead that got shrunk down a couple times and they didn't fold. Um, that's easy to do on the road. It's easy, like when you're on the road, to give in to the energy of the crowd, to give in to the energy of the other team. But they didn't fold. They actually pulled away with a five-three win. They, you know, held the uh, uh, the Ducks at bay in that third in that third period, and you know, got that empty netter at the end for Subban. But I mean, the fact that they did not come succumb to the pressure at the end, I thought that was very refreshing. I mean, we saw it happen on the road in Chicago once. Uh, we saw it happen. Uh, with the Flyers, they you know they actually fought through with the Flyers at um, at home on that on that uh, great opening win of the season for them. Uh, but it, I, I like to see a team that's resilient, and I finally saw a little bit of that. Even though it wasn't a great game uh, in terms of possessions and things like that, they didn't fold, and that's I, I, that's a huge win on the road for me. It was, you know, I'll point out it was dressed like a seat night, and I'm sorry, it was country night, country night in Anaheim. Uh, so perhaps the crowd noise didn't really get to the get to the guys as much. They did very, they did come very close to folding, uh, unfortunately. But you're right, they did, they held them off just enough. Um, George, let's hear why it was a terrible game and why the Predators are awful and everything sucks. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hate this game as much as one might think. Uh, I. The the biggest thing that I keep coming back to is teams need, you know, when, when you're when you're winning and when your foot's on the gas, you need to keep it on the gas. If you take it off, then other teams are going to find a way to come back. It's what happened against the Kings, but yeah, it, I think one of my the biggest thing that that came to this game was being on the ice with Corey Perry and not taking retali- retaliatory penalties. That was a big thing that really helped the the Predators kind of stay out of the penalty box and keep the Ducks power play on the bench. Um, 
yeah, it's it's hard for me to to really say how great this game was, just because uh, the Ducks were starting Antoine Vermette as their first line center, and I don't care who's on your wing, you could have Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid even on your wing, and I'd still be like, yeah, let's Antoine Vermette. Um, so yeah, I, I this game wasn't as big of a test for me. It was good though that this came right after that loss in San Jose, though, because the Predators kind of got to beat up on a team that's been weakened by injury and that may have restored a bit of confidence. And we definitely saw that kind of resurgence in confidence in that that first and second period against the Kings. Um, just as far as the numbers go, they it was it was like a quality versus quantity sort of deal. And I I remember I I think I had a tweet from the Predators account where it was. You know the good news is that the that the Predators are winning, but the bad news is they're being outshot by a Randy Carlisle-led Ducks yeah. team. And yeah. Carlisle Carlisle-led teams are just possession black holes that rarely ever do well. Or if they do well, it's because they they ride a hot goaltender or Phil Kessel or or Ryan Getzlaff. So I'm I don't know. It's it's obviously not ideal, but like like, like we said, a win's a win, and the Predators didn't didn't screw it. So that's what that's what that's what counts and. Uh, going back, yeah, they they did a much better job of generating shots in that uh, generating shots in that slot area and that high danger area, and they did a much better job of keeping uh, keeping high danger shots out versus versus uh, Pecorine. So there there is some good to look to you know, to this game. Yeah, I I was somewhat inspired by the Ducks. You know, I obviously in the back of my mind the whole time I'm thinking like how many of their starters we didn't have to face that night which was a good thing because I still didn't think uh it really looked like it was uh you know, you know with every game that passes I feel a little uh, this point feels a little less valid but you know it didn't look like the predators that we can expect um I'm still waiting for that you know obviously the playoffs are a little different but I'm I'm still waiting for that performance that level to come back um and yeah you know with with this this West Coast road trip is always very difficult, so I'm I'm definitely all for the win, um, and then kind of come home and figure out the issues later. Um, and then you know that said, the having a back to back and then facing the best team in the Western Conference at this point, the LA Kings, was I thought a, a huge challenge, and that was kind of what I was talking about before this week is how much of an opportunity this this road trip offered. Um, which is I was really upset about the Sharks game because it felt like such a missed opportunity to me, but then they definitely clawed it back, I thought, and, and turned this thing into a success. Um, four points in, in three games on the road, I think, is a, is a, is a decent road trip. Um, I think we can all agree. Um, yeah, the Kings, though, like you said, you know, the first couple periods I thought were really good, especially that first period. The Predators were just all over it. Um, even though the shots were leaning heavily in, in the Kings' favor, um, I think the the Yarn Crook goal, um, I'm sorry, the Salamaki goal was like, uh, you know, their second shot of the game, um, and it wasn't right at the beginning. But, you know, it, it, Saros looked good and, and looked like he could handle most of the kind of the clear-cut chances. So even though we were being outshot, I thought that it looked like a pretty convincing uh, start to that game anyway. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll, let, uh, I'll let Corey chime in here so I don't talk us all to death. No, I, you know the one thing. I, one of the things I'm gonna take away from this game is is a little bit. Um, um, I told you so uh, at the beginning of the season. I wrote an article. Oh my god! About, hey, <laughs> maybe we should like Twitter. talk about. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe we should consider. You know, 
taking breaking up the Jaffa line for just a bit and putting Arvidsson or even Forsberg on that second line. And I, I kind of put Forsberg there just to, you know, just just to try and see what it was like. Well, guess what happened the last couple nights? You know, there, there, there was some production out of that second line. Craig Smith had a fantastic game last night. I was just really impressed with how he played. At least I was, I mean, I'm not as, you know, y'all can disagree. I know, uh, uh, um, George probably will be in, you know, negative Nancy over there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but just, I mean, it's, it, it, we showed, it showed some life that we hadn't seen from that second line. And honestly, I thought Saros played a really good game too. He had some really just remarkable saves, uh, in that onslaught of a third period that could have taken it, uh, you know, from a, from a tie game to a win for the Kings very easily. Um, so I, you know, I, I think those two things are, are my big takeaway. Saros actually getting a win and, and then some life out of that second line. I thought that was very important for him. And, oh, the win on three on three. Arvidsson with that nice goal at the end. That was great. Yeah. I don't know what I'm more confused about. The fact that Craig Smith actually hit the net or that the Predators won in three on three overtime. Yeah. It was hell froze over last night. Yeah, it was a little crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I liked Craig Smith last night. I thought he's been playing. He played with some good energy. He's just been so inconsistent because I remember there was one game in the past where he just he was everywhere on the ice. I'm going to take a look at what game it was, but you just never know what you're going to get. And that's the issue is you never know what you're going to get with this team in general. I think it was against the Flyers. Yeah, it was against the Flyers where he was just buzzing around the net all night long. And no matter what they could do, he didn't score a goal, but no matter what they could do, no what the Flyers could do, they couldn't stop him. Um. Yeah, the I don't know. A lot of people were cheering and screaming and so happy. I'm just kind of like this game should have been should have ended three nothing. Like this team, the Predators folded like a lawn chair in front of UC Saros. And besides one very very bad bad goal that was most certainly UC Saros's fault, I thought that he was he did really well for what he had in front of him. If you just go look at the heat map on natural stat trick of that game. The the area in front of the net is blood red. It's for the Kings. They just they they generated at least five different shots from the from the front there. And then if you just go look at um, high danger scoring chances, they had uh, they yeah they had ten yeah they had ten chances all night and they kept the Predators to five, um, which you know I thought the Predators did better than than the high danger chances you know would, would suggest, but still it's. It comes down to uh, conversion and capitalization. They scored two goals on two high danger chances, and one of them didn't come from a high danger area. But still, um, I don't know. It's just uh, this Predators team. It's, they're escaping. They they escaped from California. They didn't walk out. You know, convincingly. They. I don't know. They, this they could have very easily ended with two points on this road trip, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been surprised. Although. That first period was so dominant by the Predators. They looked everywhere on the ice. It, it's a little bit of a shame that it had to end the way it did with actually just giving the LA Kings a point in general. But I guess that's just that's just Predators hockey at this point. Oh, most certainly. And and I was kind of talking with some of the Kings fans during the game, and they were everyone was being very friendly, but they had sort of just conceded defeat. And I said, if there's one thing I know about this team this game is not over yet. <laughs> and sure enough, then, you know, Matthias Ekholm of all people makes uh, kind of a mental mistake on defense and 
they get one back. And then, obviously, like you mentioned, you know, Saros shows a bit of his youth uh, and has that uh, obviously jumps the gun and cheats too much on the dump dump in and, and gets scored on. And suddenly it's it's too close. And then after after that second goal, it was all Kings. The rest of the third period, it was I think they had four or five shots, um, you know, within a couple minutes. And then they got that power play and it just felt like that goal was definitely coming. So it is, uh, you know, part of me is frustrated that they gave up the three nothing lead. Obviously, that's you'd think like, you know, just keep kind of keep doing what you're doing and, and either hold that score or even add to it. Um, but the other part of me thinks, you know, that was their sixth period in two nights. Um, so maybe it just finally the fatigue kind of caught up to them. Um, whatever it was. Yes, they did escape from the California road trip, but if you remember the start of last season, they they didn't really escape the California road trip. They uh, they were pretty well beat up um, by the time they stumbled out. So I will definitely take this. Um, my my recap of the of the Kings game was very focused on kind of the line combos because Laviolette's done some interesting things lately with the lines, trying to get certain players. Uh, just to to kind of find everybody find their feet, and then I sort of expect things to go back to maybe the way we've seen. Um, Hartnell on that first line is interesting. I think he and Johansson are going to be a good pair, um, just because Johansson is so good at getting the puck to those dangerous areas. It just seems like maybe it, it doesn't ever get cleaned up. But that's pretty much the only place Hartnell ever is is right in front of the goalie crease. That's um, just kind of where he posts up. So I think having him there is is a, is going to lead to some success for this team um they had an exactly average Fenwick at even strength but I think the best yeah the the best any player had last night was average for the Predators um the second line was that Forsberg Sisson Smith and and Corey you're right I I did like Forsberg there um Sissons and Smith I think have been pretty successful together they were on that line that really dominated in Philadelphia although it was it was just one nothing but they were all over the ice um, and so I think adding adding someone who's just on fire right now relative to the team in scoring, uh, Forsberg is, is a definitely a good thing there. Um, right. It, it opens them up quite a bit. It, it makes the defense have to worry about somebody else. When You weren't having to be worried about Fiala or, or Auberg or whoever else was on that line because they weren't doing anything at that point. So get, put someone in there that's, that's doing something, and, and it opens up the offense a little bit more. Yeah, and then, and then speaking of Fiala, he kind of fit into that third line that was sort of like a, it was kind of pieced together. Um, Yarncrook was the center, and then Salamaki was the other winger. Um, they had, I mean, this line had three points um, represented. Yarncrook had two assists, and Salamaki had the goal. Um, their possession numbers were not great. Um, they were pretty below average, but... Um, you know, maybe there's something to that. I'm still everybody. I know everybody's still waiting on Fiala to find his his scoring mode. Um, but I, you know, I'm optimistic about that. He's he's he. We all know he has it. So I'm just kind of waiting for it to reemerge. Um, Yarncroke, Yarncroke's been an interesting one, and, and I know that one thing we kind of wanted to touch on is is that he's been a little. Uh, he's been heating up a little bit recently. He had uh, three assists in three games. I, you know, I had a little bit of a conversation last night on Twitter with someone about this, about Not how Young Crook is, well, <laughs> this, I won't mention Brittany, but she's a very into stats. And I know that Young Crook is not like a stats uh, supported player. And so I, I referred to him in this, you know, 
I, I, I'm not sure I would tell him this, but he's he's one of my guilty pleasures because I support <laughs> him without uh, any statistical backing. I, I love Kelly Arncroke on the ice. I just think purely using the eye test, I think he does a, he does a very difficult job for the Predators. He's kind of a, I would say, their most defensive uh, center, and I think he does that well. It's obviously a difficult job. Um, he ends up on the penalty kill quite a lot, but it is nice to see him start to get some of these points. Um, basically, I just want people to stop pretending he's supposed to be James Neal because that is just driving me up the wall. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll turn it over. <laughs> uh, uh, George, what have you been thinking about Kelly Arncroke lately? Uh, I have two guilty pleasures on, on this Predators team. One's Matias Ekholm, and I, I've been banging his drum for the last probably two and a half years now, it feels like. And then Kelly Arncroke. And I'm well. I'm on record saying that I have a thing for defensively minded centers. I adore. I pretty much worship Patrice Bergeron. Uh, I, I love like Tomas Hurdle over in San Jose, and so I really, I really like Kelly Yarncroft just because of what he brings to the table. And he's not, he's not your. He's not going to put up forty or fifty points a year, but he's going to keep goals out of his own net. And that is best seen just kind of in his goals against and what he's been in. Uh, some of his takeaways and such like that. He's drawn a few penalties this year, which has been a big deal. He blocks shots. He uh, He's currently ranked when he's one of the better uh, face-off men on the Predators right now with 54%. I know how much Michael loves that stat, but, uh, you know, um, the thing I just keep coming back to is he he's writing, like, I think he might be writing the lowest PDO on the team where his team, on, or his on-ice shooting percentage is, is like, four. Or it's going up now or soon it's going up now but it's going i mean it probably won't go up like much more you know it's one of the things that that really grabs my eye is that he's he's only given up five goals when he's been on even strength situations and he's been playing major minutes each night he's been playing pretty much second line minutes against second line talent and he's pretty much and he's been on the ice for four goals four and he's been on the ice for five goals against which is a fairly good ratio obviously you want that a little bit better but I still think the points will come. People talk about him like he didn't score 31 points last year in, in a third-line role. The the guy can score. He just needs correct talent around him. I don't necessarily know if Kevin Fiala is cor- the correct talent, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see for sure. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little curious to see what happens when Benino comes back because we haven't really seen what Benino means to a team and what he, what he means yeah, that's to the huge. I'm just. I'm also just worried because Nick Benino was a third line center with the or with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it's not like he was ever going to jump ahead of Sidney Crosby or Genie Malkin. But he also did have uh, Phil Kessel on his line for the majority of the time, and I, I love, you know, uh, I, I love Kevin Fiala and Colton Sissons and whoever else. But unless he's playing with Forsberg, that talent's going to drop off, and I'm I'm not sure that Benino will be able to put up the points that he that he will be or that he did in Pittsburgh. I guess we'll see what happens. I I don't know. I still think Yarncroft's the best option at the moment for the 2C, unless the Predators want to look uh, into their AHL situation. But that's for another time. Another player that... Yeah. Uh, sorry, you go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. I was going to just completely agree. Like, yeah, the whole, whole Benino situation is going to... What really dictates what happens with Yarncroft going on. I mean, he, he I think he does deserve to kind of stay at that. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him move around a little bit, maybe even try some third line stuff, uh, some second line stuff if, uh, with uh, Forsberg up there. But 
you know, when Benino comes back in, there's a lot of things that are going to have to be adjusted again. So anyway, just thought I'd throw my two cents in. Um, I we weren't going to talk about this, but this is becoming the thing on Twitter at this moment. It sounds like Duchesne has been traded. Really? And it sounds like Kyle Turris is coming to Nashville. No. I don't know. Yeah, this is like all the all the usual Friedman Berkshire are are saying that Duchesne has left Colorado. Um. Anyway, I oh really <laughs> I really hope we didn't just trade Matias Eckel. <laughs> Let's see what's going on here. Yeah, sorry, I, I, this isn't very good radio, but David, I, I, I just I just we weren't going to talk about this. I just wrote an article about this today. That's going to be coming up tomorrow at like eight eight thirty. Well, that looks like well, that. looks like I have to write another one here, huh? Yeah, looks like that's out the door. Okay, um, Friedman says no Ekholm. Oh wait, this was rec- that wasn't yesterday. This wasn't today. This was previously. Okay, this is not. <laughs> this just isn't good radio. So we need to talk about something else. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. Uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about UC Saros and what we're going to be doing with him going forward, because I still, despite his lackluster start, I still believe that he is going to be, uh, he's going to be the goaltender of the future as early as next year. I liked what I saw a lot from him, but obviously one game doesn't really change too much of my perception of him. He did bail out the Predators, which is a good sign, but again, like anyone can have a good game. Um, I still think it might be a good idea to, to send him down. Although uh, the starting goaltender for the Admirals, uh, I think it's Manzanek or whatever, not Mrazek, Manzanek, Manzanek, yeah, whatever that is. Uh, he just went down with a lower body injury today, so that might actually keep keep Yuse Saros in uh, in Nashville for a while. And are you talking about Lindbeck? Oh yeah, Anders Lindbeck, not Man- Manzanek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, my bad. Yeah, Anders Lindbeck uh, went down with a lower body injury earlier today, and. I don't. I haven't heard any specifics about it. I don't know. It could just be he has a bruise, and you know he, the coaches decide to give him a rest because he's been playing a ton of games. But yeah, I I start. I'm going to start hoping that the Predators start playing uh, Saros more in a uh, like a 40 kind of scenario rather than a seventy five percent twenty five percent kind of scenario because they're not. I think Saros needs a few more games to develop and. If he can't get the games in Nashville, he should most certainly go down to the AHL just to get those games because sitting on the bench doesn't really do that much good uh, for, for a goalie in general, I feel like. Yeah, I expected him, because he wasn't getting sent down at all this year, I expected it to be a little bit of a more even split with, with Rene. I think that's been a little bit disrupted because Rene has been playing extremely well, um, pretty consistently well too, which is sort of rare. So I think that that may have thrown a bit of a wrench in that plan, but I agree. I th- I think if it's going to keep going with this split of games, I, I would like to see Saros just get him games however he can. Obviously, the quality of chances and that sort of thing won't be quite the same in the AHL, but you know at least he's getting out there and, and playing minutes. And yeah, it's only going to do, do him good. I think it was just immense for his confidence to get that win in L.A. Um, that's I mean, that's a tough battle to go up against currently the hottest team in the Western conference right now. And, and even though he, you know, he had a call, well, really just one uh, kind of iffy moment. He, he had a very solid game. So um, I think that just did tons for his confidence. And that's, a, and we, we need him to be confident too. Cause we don't know 
what the rest of the season is going to hold at this point in time either. We need Soros to step up and, and have a game like that. And it's good to see that the, the Predators helped lead him to that win. I mean, he played really, really just great last night. So having that win for him, great confidence boost. We're going to need that the rest of the season. So, all right, moving on. What do we got? What do we got? Um, Cody McLeod doesn't belong in an NHL lineup. <laughs> Fight me. Yeah. Uh, well, wait a minute. Now you're talking about you're talking about Cody McLeod who leads the Predators in PDO at 109.5. Does he? How many or, minutes has he played? What has he played? Like 20 minutes this season? <laughs> no. <laughs> he leads the team in penalty minutes and is last dead last on the team in ice time. And as as George dug out from a, a website I didn't know existed called HockeyFights.com. Uh, has Cody McLeod has won a single fight out of I think four attempts or yeah. three or four attempts. Yeah, he's one in three after after last night's altercation where he got manhandled to say the least. Well, and and most frustratingly for me, he got into a fight after a clean hit, which is one of my biggest pet peeves in the NHL these days. I just hate fights after clean hits. It was a big hit and it removed Yarn Croak's helmet, but it was clean. Uh, yeah, so my personal opinion, as everyone knows, McLeod, uh, get him out, please. Um, yeah. There you go. I really like a. I I, really, I actually was very shocked to see that uh, Sal Mackey was going to be in the lineup on uh, against the Kings, just because I thought Pontus Auberg played his best game of the season against the Ducks, and so it was very curious to see that that Sal Mackey would replace him rather than Sal Mackey replace uh, Cody McLeod. I really, uh, I really, really like. The that new fourth line where Austin Watson and uh, and Freddie Goudreau play with uh, play with Salamaki. I thought that was they were very explosive. They were very defensively responsible, and they they did eat a couple of tough minutes. I mean they they I remember that last uh, the last uh, shift the last minute or so was this mismatched line of Cal Yarncroft, um, Austin Watson, and I think it may have been Pontus Auberg. I forget who it was who the other winger was, but. Watson was everywhere. Yarncroke was winning. Was winning faceoffs. It was just the the Ducks couldn't regain possession, even though they had uh, two two faceoffs in the Predator zone because of icings, and because of that PK Subban scored. Like it, I don't know. I don't. I don't look at Cody McLeod and and see any aspect that he that he impacts the team. And then when people would say, "Well, he fights and he wins," he's not winning anymore. What do you do with an enforcer that can't win fights? He, he's useless. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, what you said, I mean, if you got a guy on the team and he's supposed to be there to, you know, be your physical presence and your enforcer, but he doesn't do that, what are you paying him for? Hmm. I just, just don't just, I don't buy into that argument either. Even if he was winning these fights, I don't buy into the argument that players change their game because there's an enforcer. I just don't think that's how the NHL works anymore. And I may be wrong. I just don't think McLeod's role, even if he was winning all of these fights, I don't think he would actually be impacting the game all that much aside from getting tons of penalty minutes, which, as we all know, has been one of the biggest issues the Predators have had this season. You know, it was refreshing to hear his name called a couple times last night and doing something that wasn't bad, like trying to get a pass off to uh, or hold possession or, you know, get someone into the wall so we could get the puck or whatever. But I, I have not seen him do anything in a positive manner for the offense other than what I saw last night. So I, I'm really iffy about his presence on the team myself and just 
something we need to something something needs to be done with that. Maybe he's the one that gets traded here. Who knows? I mean, what are, what are you gonna trade him for? Like, it's gonna have to be a bag <laughs> of pucks, deal. Man. Yeah, a bag of well, pucks. Back in the day, you, they could trade him for like three hundred, four hundred dollars. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't even know if he's worth <laughs> the plane ticket going to the going to his other team. Um, yeah, it hurt. I mean, it's harsh, but I'm sick of it. I'm sick of that fourth line beca- being a liability when I think that with Goudreau and Watson there, it doesn't have to be a liability. I think it can actually be a, a good influence on this game. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, but w- w- we're just becoming an echo chamber on this, I, and I don't think yeah. many many of the informed fans in this uh, of this franchise are, are really big fans of McLeod anymore. I think people are just getting sick of it. Um, this is interesting because I know that we another echo chamber that we've become is the Sam Girard free Girard thing, um, and I agree. Like the the guy's definitely earned uh, his minutes when he gets them, and I think he's earned more than that certainly. But this this third pairing of Irwin and Weber has kind of quietly been pretty good. I think, I mean, in, statistically speaking, they're actually above average at even strength. Um, which I think is really all you can ask for from a third pairing. And, you know, the, the goals have been, I think this is totally off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure most of the goals have come against that Subban Emelin pairing. Granted, they're usually facing much tougher opposition. Um, but I the Irwin and Weber pairing has been okay. Weber had that. He claims, first of all, if you're a young hockey player and you do something really cool, like Yannick Weber with the, like, 100 foot saucer pass to right to, to Salamaki for the goal like don't admit that that was a mistake he I think he claimed that he was actually just trying to clear the puck and I'm like dude you should just just say you meant it because it looked really cool <laughs> but anyway that I think that pairing's been pretty good yeah uh, I'm not Yannick Weber's biggest fan personally I think he's on the team because he's a right-handed shot and uh, without Ryan Ellis uh, the Predators are kind of lacking in that right-handed shot category um, but yeah, it's nice to see uh, him and Weber do really well. I've been a, a fan of Weber for the since probably August now. To be on this third pair, he's always been posting very decent stats, especially for playing on the third line. And I, I generally like him. He's not going to post huge offensive numbers, but he's not going to put up less than probably ten points a year, which is which is always nice to get on from the third pair. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm a little curious. I would. I, I do think Irwin is the straw that stirs the drink on that pair, at least. Although Weber did have a very good two last games. I I kind of, and this is just the curious person to me, I kind of want to see a right-handed shot like Alexander Carrier uh, on that on that third pair on the right side, just to see if maybe maybe Weber is, you know, maybe Weber is better than we give him credit for, or maybe he's not, you know. We'll kind of make that distinction. Yeah, it's. I, I think more than anything, it's just been a little bit of a pleasant surprise for me because I've been so wrapped up in this, why is Sam Girard not playing? And then I kind of took a step back and realized that actually that third pairing isn't too bad. Um, and that would, realistically, as much as I'm not impressed with, with uh, Emelin, he would, Girard would be going in for either Irwin or Weber on a regular basis. And I still, I think, would rather have him in the lineup Um well, I would definitely still rather have him in the lineup than Weber, and I think Irwin plays a specific role on this team, and I think he does it pretty well. Um, Gerard, obviously, he's not going to be able to do, you know, the big physical battles that a guy like Matt Irwin can do. So I think that that's not necessarily a, a one-for-one swap that I want to see. Um, but yeah, it's just been a bit of a pleasant surprise. 
um, to see that these guys are doing pretty well, I think. I'm going to be honest. This Duchesne thing is really distracting. And I'm on the bandwagon with you guys. This is <laughs> Yeah, that's what I've been trying to go through and do, too, just to see what details are coming out and kind of let you guys go and, and – just trying to get other things organized on the back scene here, you know, with, you know, waiting the news and, and getting stuff uh, written. So we have the news out there, but uh, you know, when we're talking defensemen, it looks like there may be a defenseman going, leaving the Preds and, you know, that opens up the space now for Gerard, but then who goes, who's the one that would be out the door. Um, Cause obviously if, for this type of trade, it's not going to be uh, a Weber. Uh, maybe it's Emelin. Maybe it's, um, you know, Ekholm. Maybe it's Ryan Ellis. We never know. I mean, who knows what they're going to throw out there. But, I mean, I highly doubt it would be Ellis. But well, Ellis, Ellis can't be traded while he's on the IR, which is, yeah, which is a I big know. factor it's in just, that. I'm just well, – I know. But I'm just – you know, I'm just thinking we, we have no idea. That's the problem. We don't have what's – we don't know what's going on here. Well, everything we say is speculation. Even the, even what we do know, we don't know. Um, well, and in, that, in an effort to, to kind of to keep up with the speculation, just 30 seconds. What do, Michael, what do you think it is? Just give me a 30-second rundown. I think we just traded a lot of prospects or draft picks or both to Ottawa, and the reason I think that is because Duchesne and Turris are confirmed in this trade, and we've heard nothing from Nashville, and I just have a feeling that it's not Ekholm. Maybe it's Gerard. Maybe it's people even younger than Gerard um, or, or draft picks. That's what I think. Right. What, what do you got, Corey? Um... My head says Ekholm. My heart is in there with uh, uh, with the, with prospects, but in that it it could be uh, one of the ones that we that we've seen so you know do so well with uh, with like maybe a Tolovan or maybe it is even Gerard. Who knows? But I, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted here. I don't want it to be Ekholm. I kind of agree with some people I'm seeing online saying if this is Ekholm, then we're going to be like in mourning for the next 14 days or whatever. <laughs> Um, I, I I'm hoping we didn't give up big pieces. I'm hoping that it's something that we can. I hope it's we get to keep who we have, and then maybe it's a prospect or a, or draft picks. That's my hope. Yeah. Um, At the same time, I think Turris goes a much longer way at solving this issue at center than a lot of people. Um, so I we're you know we're not going to get him for free. I think it's hope. I'm hoping it's just trade and or, uh, prospects and draft picks because that will hurt a little less. But I, it's you know you got to give something up to get a guy like Torres. Yeah, I'm not really high on Torres. Uh, personally, my t- my take on the trade, and this is an article that will never see the light of day. But here here's what it was: uh, Duchesne's going to go to to Ottawa. That's pretty much been con- if it does happen. That's pretty much what's going to happen. Uh, and they're getting an upgrade from Torres from Torres and Duchesne. The Predators are going to get Turris, which I think is going to be an upgrade from Yarncroc at, at the 2C. But then that kind of displaces Goudreau and Colton Sissons, which is going to be a tricky thing to manage. And then uh, I don't think Ekholm's going to be traded uh, just because of what Elliot Friedman reported the other day where he said that Ekholm was never really seriously on the table. And that was holding him back was that the Avalanche wanted more picks or a higher name prospect. My personal theory is it's Gerard in a second or uh, Fabro in a second or Carrier in a first. Just personally, just just pure pure gut, but just looking at all the teams, I could kind of see it going that way. I'm not, I don't know. I think the Predators are getting the short end of the stick here. Um, just just for time's sake, we should probably try to move on to something else because <clears throat> yeah. we're just going to be sitting here speculating. Um, 
just to kind of pivot and, and look at, obviously we've been talking about what happened this past week, but things coming up this week, the Predators are still on the road. They're visiting uh, Columbus on Tuesday night. I don't, to be honest, don't know a whole lot about Columbus. I haven't paid much attention to them this year. You know, my, my only take of them last year really was the 30% power play that they rode for so long. Uh, so I'm, I'm not tempted to really buy in, into the Blue Jackets, but maybe one of y'all can sort of enlighten me on, on the challenge that the Predators are up against. Uh, the Predators kind of face a very interesting uh, mobile defense, much like themselves. Uh, Seth Jones and Zach Rensky don't always act like defensemen in this case. They're, I've I've kind of seen them more compared to Rovers, which is generally funny considering that they play for uh, John Tortorella, who's one of the strictest coaches in the league. Um, Bobrovsky is, and this is a very interesting uh, comparison I heard, but he's very much considered to be kind of like the Hasek to, uh, to this era where Columbus lives and dies by by how Bobrovsky actually plays. And if Bobrovsky lays an egg in that, then this team is going to fall in some really hard times. Um, but luckily for them, he seems to kind of have it all under control, and he seems to be getting even better this this year. This is going to be a pretty big matchup. Uh, the Blue Jackets are a big physical team, and they like to grind teams down much like the Sharks do, or did. Yeah, and the one thing that I noticed about them is um, their power play is horrible. They're the last team in the league in power play, like an 11% percentage excuse me, 11% percentage. Yeah, that's redundant. Yeah. Um, uh, but they're, they're only like at 11% this year on their power play. Now their penalty kill is one of the best in the league, uh, around 83%. So they're right around the same level as their predators on penalty kill. But if there's an advantage they have, it would be that uh, the predators are more successful on the power play. So hopefully that helps them out. Uh, they have given up 21 goals on uh, even strength goals. So that's, uh, you know, a high mark for uh, considering the league. So, you know, there's a possibility that if the Predators can, uh, can keep things going the way they did in Los Angeles, uh, especially the first period in particular, or the first two periods in particular, uh, put some pressure at the net, then there's a possibility they can break through and score and, and build up their even strength goals, uh, which we saw them do over the last weekend, but also take advantage of the power play. I mean, the special teams is really going to have to come in big uh, for a win over Columbus. Yeah, I, 